caught up with infamous Steve Hill, knife maker to the stars. We sat down to go over his storied career in knife making and a few encounters that would lead him to a variety of very public collectors of fine cutlery, including, but not limited to, some of the largest names in the music industry that not only collect, but carry his knives on a daily basis. Oh yeah, just cracked open, cracked open a a beer for truth serum. Oh, there we go. See, perfect. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's that works, man. That works. Uh, all right. So, um, yeah. If you're ready, let's let's jump into it then. Let me. I'll I'll roll the intro and then um and then we'll we'll get going. Okay. All right. We're gonna jump into this like we do. Every week, welcome to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. We are on this week with a guest. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas, and we're on this week with Steve Hill. Steve, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Uh, you know, it's uh, I have no major complaints. Yeah, the situation of the of the world is out of my command so otherwise pretty good yeah that's right yeah you're you're in um you're in texas H- how's texas right now well i'm watching a beautiful sunset over the far ridge um here in drop dead gorgeous spring branch which is in between austin and san antonio right on the, the yeah the front door of the hill country but yeah, fresh in from a day in the shop, and it hit 80 out there. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah, I know you were saying it was cold yesterday. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and so, okay, uh-huh. so you were, you were in the shop, and, uh, and, you're, and you're working on knives, like, full, full time. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Been full time since 89, and sold my first 28, and then it was just part-time when the spirit moved me a lot of that had to do with where i was working you know i my first knives were made on a one by 42 inch belt sander at the uh sheet metal shop machine shop i worked at in avon massachusetts oh man all right yeah yeah roughly what year was that well, let's see. I uh, started making them in 77. So it took about a year before I made something that somebody wanted to buy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That works. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, and it was all, uh, you know, no YouTube, nothing like that back in those days. It was all trial and error by reading uh, How to Make Knives, written by Richard Barney and Bob Loveless. That was it. Oh, wow. All right. Man. I mean, that's those are some good teachers, so that, that's a good place to start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first got in Guild, uh, I went up and saw Bob Loveless there and thanked him for writing that book and said it made my dream come true. You know, here I am, full-time knife, knife maker, now in the guild. And he just looked at me and he goes, well, how do you like starving for a living? <laughs> <laughs> he was very... Yep. Uh, yeah, that's about right. <clears throat> blunt, blunt, brusque fella. 
Yeah, but you know, it's been a long, strange trip. Right, right. So it okay. So you're you're saying you started in um in Avon. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about those days. Well, uh, Avon was just town north of Brockton, where I was born and raised, the home of the champs. And I've met a few winners there myself. But, you know, it was, uh, I always loved knives, you know, ever since I was a kid. My, my dad gave me a hunting knife when I was seven years old, which didn't thrill my mom all that much. But, uh, you know, used to play Tarzan and all that and whipping them at trees and losing them. And I just thought you bought them at the store. And then one day on my paper route, I stopped to um, always would stop and get a hot fudge sundae at my last customer, a pharmacy in Brockton, and uh, picked up a magazine to read. And it had Bo Randall, King of the Custom Knife Makers. I went, wow, I didn't know one guy could do this. I just thought you bought them at the store. <laughs> so that just sort of set the spark off so to speak and uh Randall, wow. you know, yeah well i mean you know back in those days there weren't any well maybe there might have been american blade i think that was the magazine then but it was hard to find that so anything you know related to knives was uh pretty much in men's or or uh, gun magazines it might be a little article i think there was another one on gil hibben that i read but uh and uh you know so and then i found this book how to make knives and you know uh just experimented first one was made out of a file and when i was done with it I'm scratching my head wondering is this a knife i'm not sure it might be <laughs> <laughs> but my brother loved it. He still has it. Oh wow! And, uh, okay. So uh, and uh, and then a tool maker in this shop I worked at in Avon. He handed me a piece of D two steel, and he said, "You'll never make a knife out of this." That's all I needed to hear. See, they had two shifts, so I worked the first shift, and uh, if no one was on that belt sander, second shift. I would stay and, and work, you know, on my stuff there. I didn't have my own gear at the time. And that seemed to be, uh, you know, when I moved down to Florida, I um, moved down there because uh, my brother was stationed in the Air Force in Georgia. So I went down to visit him in Valdosta and decided to take a drive down 441 to Orlando and uh, visit the Randall shop. Brought a knife I had made that I still have. I consider it the first real knife I made. And uh, I still have it. And it was the one made out of D2. And uh, I showed it to Bo Randall and he exclaimed, God damn. And I said, oh, I'd like to work for you. And he said, oh, well. Let's go talk to Gary. He had just turned the shop over to Gary. He was uh, pretty much retired by then. And uh, so I got hired on there and worked there for about six months. And uh, our philosophies didn't mesh. Um, 
that's when I found out that they were more of a more semi-production. I mean, yeah, you you're hands-on grinding, but there was a whole slew of us. You know, it was like a production line, and uh, and they used to still have to drag me out of there at the end of the day, and I'd even volunteer to bring stuff home to work on, but. Uh, but the thing that got me was they would not let you work on your own knives. And I said, well, you're not paying me 24 oh, okay. seven. So anyway, you know, we, we had a, and the foreman told me years later when we had our tables side by side at the blade show, he says, that's the best thing that ever happened. You know, you leaving. Cause he goes, look at, look at what you're making. He goes, it's instead of, uh, you know, our, you know, Randall had a pretty set, you know, number of patterns. And, you know, most of them were being made for their knife dealers. That's pretty much why there's such a waiting list for Joe Blow off the street. <laughs> right. But, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, they're just fulfilling but, the dealer orders. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. But anyway, you know... Uh, it's just been interesting, uh, and I've met a lot of interesting people along the way, and uh, you know, just kept trying to get better and better at it. And um, you know, I lived in Florida for a good while after I got out of Randall shops, and I went back in the sheet metal shops. But they would interview me, and then I would say, "Well, I need to interview." the shop and if there wasn't a belt grinder in there i go sorry no deal <laughs> hey i but, mean you gotta have hey man there's a line you gotta you gotta meet it oh right? yeah meet in the middle. yeah exactly exactly you know but uh, it was the same thing and they had to have like two shifts so you know all that but, but you know i finally um got a speed gut speed cut not speed gut but speed cut belt grinder which were made by the Drapers, who were famous. Um, well, in the old school knife makers, they might remember Harvey Draper. And the Draper brothers out in Utah where Buster Orensky and uh, a few of them fellas all come up. But they made these belt grinders, and I'll tell you, man, it works like a champ. It was still running, and that was from 1989 when I bought it, and the same motor still powering it. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's proper. Yeah. That's well made. Well, that was back in the day when they did make things to last. Sound like a right. an old timer there, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, stuff, I uh, stuff wasn't. I, I'm familiar with Audra Draper. Oh, is, okay. is the, is she must be. I would this, part of the same family. I would think so. Except I think she isn't. She in Wyoming. She's in the ABS. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But, I wonder uh, if. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe yeah. she, maybe she married a Draper. That could hmm. be. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. I'm not sure. You know, I just uh, then got my own shop going, and uh, my first business card said knife maker, guitarist, and comedian, because I was doing, <laughs> I was doing. A stand-up comedy every weekend at a comedy club. Oh um, wow! Okay, no joke. Yeah, huh? no joke. Well, I did parodies, musical parodies. Oh, you know, and, but there'd be banter in between. You know, like I said, it's interesting life. I think. 
So you're so you're in Florida. You're you're you moonlit at the Randall shop for about six months. You moved on. Well, I didn't but, moonlight um, there. That was my full time gig. When I that's what brought me to Florida. And, okay. All right. Know, and then after that, I went to various other shops until I decided to just do my own thing. You know, once I got that speed gut cut. I don't know why I keep saying speed gut. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Once I got that belt grinder, it was, you know, I didn't want to have to go anywhere else. Of course, you know, I had to run quite a gauntlet, you know, the the rat race. He was in rush hour traffic morning, rush hour traffic at night. So to walk out the kitchen door into the garage to the shop was very enticing. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, back then I um, had to go to a lot of uh, gun shows, gun and knife shows. But they used to have sections that was just all knife makers, which was nice. So at least that way, anyone coming in, you know, looking for fine handmade knives, it was a knife maker section. Like It was two aisles that faced each other. And, you know, I got to meet a lot of uh, good guys down there in Florida. Rodney Rogers, uh, Rex Robinson became a real good friend of mine. And, uh, but, you know, I just, just traveled the uh, gun show circuit and did really good down in South Florida from about down Miami way, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale. Now I'm wanting to say Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> but uh in miami those were good spots and then once the guild came to orlando that was like wow you know so i brought my work around and jimmy lyle was the first one to sign my uh, application then joe calsa who ironically i had met in massachusetts um no kidding yeah i went to pick up uh um blades from a heat treater in Quincy just south of Boston and there was this fella in front of me with a beard and a turban all dressed and I go what's with this guy and then he was getting they brought out a whole bunch of blades for him you know all these Arabian looking things I go wow so we got to talk and I said I didn't think there was another knife maker in the neighborhood. I knew about Jimmy Fikes out there in Orange, which is you're from like Western Mass, ain't you? Did you ever hear of Jimmy Fikes? The name does sound very familiar. Yep. Yeah, that that's yeah. out in my neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, in your neck of the woods, one of my friends was John Krabasic. You must have heard of him. Out in oh, North yeah. Northampton. Yeah, I, I I know John real well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just stayed in Florida for a bit, and then the call of New England got pretty strong, and not quite sure why exactly. I must have missed shoveling snow. <laughs> <laughs> you say so. <laughs> yeah, well, we've had snow here, but I look at it, and we, might, we got four inches one time, and it was like the whole state was shut down, and I just looked at it and go... That's nice, and the next day it was melted and gone. I was kind of hoping it would stay, but 
Yeah, someone posted something on uh, Facebook that showed a spilt Slurpee cup on the pavement, and they go, Texas is closed because there were ice cubes on the pavement. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, moving down to Hampshire, you know, where, you know, two feet of snow, that's no excuse. Get to work. Get to school. Yeah, that's that's about right. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, New Hampshire is uh that's its own drum for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But uh went to the guild show out in Vegas. That's where um what was that 97 I think was the first year they moved out there. And I had made one of the four yeah, I'd made one of the four giveaway knives, so I went out there and and uh it was an interesting town. I at the time I was still living in Orlando, but when I got to Vegas, the end of July, I go, boy, I thought Florida was hot, but Vegas takes the cake. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that time of year, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing 118 degrees. I went, what the? Sure. <laughs> Even even the shadows are heating up. The shadows are looking for somewhere cool to oh, really? cool off on. It's it's yeah. hot, man. It's yeah, like... I don't know. Yeah, myself, um, I enjoyed the day after the Guild show, and we went out to uh, Red Rocks Canyon, and then went up to Mount Charleston. I liked that a lot, you know. But uh, I didn't much care for the you know the show. You've got that, you know the cacophony of several conversations, you know, hundreds of them all going off at once. And then when you're done with the show, then you got all the cacophony of uh, <laughs> the uh, casinos, ding, 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 bang, 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 you know, and it's like, man, but uh, they had some interesting kiosks out on the sidewalk, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, that and, sounds um, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Soil doves selling their wares. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, a, a very apropos. Yeah, yeah. I don't that. know. I don't Absolutely. know if that's still going on, but uh, it was back then. That was, you know, geez, what twenty three years back. So maybe it's different now. I don't know. But uh, oh, it's the same. The kiosks just look different. That's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just remember yeah. one one of my neighboring buddies. Uh, from Florida, we had all our tables together, and Bill McHenry and Jason were right behind me. And uh, and um, this one fellow was delivering a knife to this girl, woman who lived in Las Vegas. She ordered the knife at the Blade Show, and then he got it done. And then she was like, "Well, you know, she owed him a balance." And, and she says, "Well, how's about we go up to your room?" And, work some of this off and i just remember him saying i can get a better deal than that out on the street one of them flyers (laughs) (laughs) oh my god wow well must have been a big there was a big bill due on that knife that's why oh yeah there was yeah 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 he had diamonds and stuff and you know this was back in the the uh the i guess the the big wave of the uh, high art, you know, knives, you know, the, the when, you know, the, the switch blades, but, you know, they were all, it was all very intricate stuff, you know, you'd be sometimes months in one knife, you know, 
it was like they never ended, you know, just carving them and all this and that. But uh, I'd like to see some of that come back. Yeah. So you were you were at that show with some of those some of those New England makers. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was I was good friends with Bill and Jason. I used to stay at Bill's house when I'd come up there because I, you know, I used to go up there every fall. And I would do um, the Rhode Island Custom Knife Show, which sadly is no longer. But back then, it was Oregon and Rhode Island were the only legal states for for switchblades. I don't like to call them automatics, you know. And I'm, and I've never made a double action, nor do I want to, because when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. There you but, go. Uh, I like that. But, okay. Yeah. But um yeah, you know, so I used to hang with him, Ralph Salvideo. So you you were you were going to those. Yeah, yeah. And I also did um a show out at the Big E there in West Springfield. So yeah, and that always happened in October, so it was perfect. I was living in Florida, I'd drive up there, you know, and do the Rhode Island show coming in, go visit friends and family, you know, look at all the gorgeous foliage, then head out to a, stayed with a friend in West Hampton. And then I'd go do the uh, Big E show and then head on down the road back to Florida. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's living the dream already, huh? Jeez. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I used, I'm not so much a fan of uh, the flying to knife shows anymore. The TSA really put a damper in that. But uh, when I can drive to one. Yeah, you know, last year I drove from Texas to the uh, Blade Show rather than fly. Usually I'd fly, but I just decided to drive it one this last year, which was interesting. You know, I liked it. Um, it's a long drive, yeah, but still, uh, I'm a huge fan of car trips, so I totally, I'm totally, for oh, that, yeah, you know, oh, do, do you drive from New England to Vegas or I've done it many times. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely, I, I, I enjoy a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of time on the road with, with myself behind the wheel. I, I, I like driving just about everywhere I can. Oh yeah. Wow. Yep. All right. Yeah, there's something about it. Just, I don't know. Yeah, just me and the, me and the music, man. That's it. Yeah, that's the same with me. You got to have the tunes going. And, uh, sometimes I used to think, oh, man, I missed my calling. I should have been a long-haul truck driver. And I go, well, you wouldn't really see the country. You'd just see the country's loading docks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so, uh, so music is is also part of. I mean, uh, you've been involved in the in the music industry a, a little bit, huh? Well, I wouldn't say the music industry. I haven't put out records or had any recording contracts, but I know a number of people that are in in that line of it. You know, and uh, I guess we share some uh, mutual. Uh, customers and and Aerosmith and I'm not sure who else might have visited your shop but uh 
you know, uh, I met um, them fellas back in, yeah, it was in 97. I was in Florida, in Orlando, and um, I initially, my first celebrity customer was David Crosby, because uh, Crosby, Stills and, Crosby, Stills, and Nash came to Orlando, and I had read his book, uh, Oh Yes, I Can, was the name of it. And he, in one part of it, he mentioned how he liked things that were made better than they had to be made. And one of those things was knives. He said he loved custom knives. And uh, I found that intriguing and uh went to see the show and i noticed when we were leaving that there was this big tour bus right across the street at this omni hotel and i go i bet you that's where they're staying so the next morning i went down there with a knapsack full of knives and was sitting in the lobby <laughs> this was weird <laughs> nice okay yeah but okay. i was waiting for them All to right. come down and uh oh boy and what i didn't uh, guy at the desk, he kept looking, you know, just seeing me there with a day pack and uh, <laughs> just sitting there. And it, it dawned on me because then he came up and he goes, do you have business here? Do you have a room here? And I said, no. And he goes, do you have business here? I go, well, I'm hoping to meet David Crosby when they come check out, you know. And uh, it, it dawned on me then because just a few blocks up the very road was a Greyhound bus station. So he probably thought I just got off the bus and was contemplating my next move <laughs> in, in the air-conditioned <laughs> comfort of their lobby or something. You know? <laughs> so oh, boy. he says right. to me, he goes, he goes, do you know his room number? I said, no. I go, that's why I'm sitting here waiting. If I'd known his room number, I would have come right in and got in the elevator. <laughs> You know? So he says, yeah, right. So he said, direct. yeah. So he says, well, get on the house phone here and, and tell them who you want to speak to. And so I pick up the phone and I can feel this guy's breath on the back of my neck. I was going, yeah, he can't wait to give me the bums rush out of here, you know? Because I thought, oh, yeah, David Crosby's checked in under his own name. So, you know, I get the, the person going, oh, who would you like to speak? I said, David Crosby. And she was okay. And then phone rings and then this guy answers and I go, Mr. Crosby. And then there's this pregnant pause. And then he goes, yes. <laughs> like what the hell just happened? Not when I want, you know? And I said, Oh, I'm a knife maker. And I just would like to show you some of my work when you come down and check, check out. And then he just opened up. He said, come on up. And he told me his room number, so up I went. And uh, I remember that was back in the the Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker scandal thing going on, and he had that on the news. And he said, oh, can you believe this shit? <laughs> you know, he goes, oh, he's boy. Uh, I'm not a man of God, but I play one on TV. Anyway, he's looking through my knives, and I told him how I made one for Stevie. Ray Vaughn when he cleaned up because I had been a friend of his for years and uh, I was so happy that he didn't you know end up like Hendrix I sent him a long letter you know 
say, and I hope, you know, you can get your colors together, so to speak. And uh, anyway, Crosby found a knife he liked, and it was pretty straightforward, little uh, fixed blade, three and a quarter inch blade, fixed blade knife. He goes, oh, this would come in handy on my boat, you know, because he, he loved sailing. And, uh, you know, at that time, I think it was like 150 bucks, I think it was, for the knife with the sheath. And uh, he goes, how much? And he goes, how much? I go, 150. And I think he realized that, yeah, this guy ain't trying to gouge me or nothing, you know, just because I'm big celebrity but the thing was he didn't have 150 bucks on him he had to make three phone calls <laughs> to get to get the cash oh boy <laughs> well oh, man you know, early, well right. you know uh, it's it's kind of weird in a way a lot of people think that these guys are rolling in dough some of them are but there's some of them uh you know uh I read, I read something earlier this spring when this whole COVID nutty stuff come on that uh, Crosby, I was looking forward to seeing him here in Austin back in May because uh, he got a knife for me uh, two years ago when he played in Austin. And, uh, and uh, so that's the second one he has of mine. And uh, that was a nice one too. I had... It was a folder. The first one was a fixed blade, and he got a Warncliffe blade folder this time. And I had engraved on the uh, spine, stand and be counted, stand on the truth was on the inside of it. And, uh, but, you know, he was saying, you know, all his tours got canceled. And, uh, you know, his spring and summer tours were canceled. And he says, I hope they'll... I'll still be able to gig in the fall and do my tour. He goes, otherwise, I'm probably going to lose my house. But, you know, again, well, he also had some serious health issues. I'm sure liver transplants don't come cheap, you know. And I don't think, and he didn't have health insurance. So, anyway, when I was in Florida, knife maker in um, New Hampshire tipped me off saying, hey, if Aerosmith ever comes to town, look him up he goes because joe perry collects knives because his wife just ordered one from me so they came they came to town and uh um, i went to the arena where they were playing there's a big fence and a security guard and a golf cart thing at the gate and all these people hanging on the gate and i just haven't you know, been in so many of Stevie Ray's shows, I just learned that you just walk in like you're supposed to be there. So that's what I started to do. I wasn't going to ask him. I was just going to walk right by. And then the guy goes, hey, can I help you? I go, well, I'm here to see Joe Perry, which I was. Joe didn't know. It. Joe didn't know it, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of that. Uh, it was happening. Yeah, you know, you got a, the power of positive thinking, you know. So um, anyway, uh, this other fellow was coming through behind me, and I guess he was like local lights or something. I think it was sound or something. But uh 
you know, the security guy knew him. He goes, this guy says he's here to see Joe Perry. And uh, so then the guy looks at me, he goes, they're not here and their crew's going to do the sound check. And I just went, all I know is I'm supposed to meet him here between five and six, you know, still not taking no for an answer. So uh, he goes, okay, follow me in. And uh, so I follow him in there and there's this guy in a big glass, you know, office, you know, big glass windows, big burly guy. He goes, that's the head of security. Go see him. And I thought, that's the last person I need to see. <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> so uh, I'm just sort of skulking in the shadows, wondering, am I going to get a glimpse of these guys or something? And everyone's got laminate passes hanging around their necks, you know, and all that, except me. But I'm, I've got a leather briefcase full of knives i graduated from the day looking pack. professional yeah yeah right there you go <laughs> and uh nice, nice anyway yeah these big overhead doors open you know like what you know 18 wheelers would drive through and the glaring florida sun you couldn't it was just blinding from this dark all of a sudden it's blinding and you just see the silhouette of these five rather skinny guys <laughs> And they come walking by. They come walking by so fast it about made my head spin. But I had written a note in the back of my business cards to Joe. But he went by me so quick and so did, you know. And so I got one of the entourage. I go, hey, can you get this to Joe? He goes, no promises, but I'll try. So they started their sound check. And uh, this one security guy is looking at me going, He's got a leather briefcase, but he doesn't have a lamb in it. What's going on? <laughs> and uh, anyway, they did a couple of tombs, and I seen Joe come running down the ramp from the stage, comes up to me, goes, hey, are you the knife guy? I go, yeah. He goes, don't go anywhere. He goes, I fucked up. I didn't bring a knife with me. I got to see what you have. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> That's great. So they finished their... Um, set and he come up to me he goes oh let's see what you have so i start i open my bag you know my leather bag and i'm pulling knives out now this guy that's been watching me for the past hour comes running up you can't do that in here and, this, uh, uh, and so then joe goes where can we do this he goes only backstage like in your your area so then joe grabs one of his guys and goes Get me a backstage pass for this fella. And the guy goes, oh, we're, we're all out. And he goes, well, what can we get him back there with? He goes, oh, I have a working personnel patch. He goes, well, give it, give it. So I got that, slapped it on my jeans and got to walk back and hang in the lounge with uh, with uh, Joe. He bought a, a, back in the day when I used to make tactical folders, he bought one of those. And uh, Brad Whitford was looking them over. And then in walks Steven Tyler. And he said, what's going on here? And Brad Whitford goes, oh, just looking at some knives this guy makes. And Tyler's eyes bugged out. He said, I love knives. <laughs> so then he found one he liked. And, uh, and, um, you know, he said, okay, after the show, you know, I'll shower and then we'll come back and we'll do a deal here. 
And, you know, I told them how, you know, I used to see them back in Massachusetts when they were still playing the clubs and they'd have people dancing on the tables and stuff, you know. And, and uh, they used to rehearse in Brockton at the Brockton Theater. They'd rehearse there for a while. Anyway, you know, uh, it was, you know, I got to see the show. I was right backstage with them. Uh, before you know they cut on and I and you know the lights slowly start coming up and you could feel the energy I mean it's 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 I don't know if you ever felt this but it it lifts you up by the seat of your pants literally all the energy all those people in there just that roar of approval because they know the show's about to start and Tyler's pantomiming like he's got ape hanger handlebars on his chopper and he's revving and all of a sudden they just go let's go and they all went scooting up the ramp there and i went and saw it from the sound and light booth it was just a great time you know then afterwards uh i had to wait for him to uh get showered and cleaned up after that because those guys man they work their butts off and uh Anyway, everyone with a working personnel is humping butt. They're striking the stage. They're pushing gear on the trucks. I'm leaning against the wall. <laughs> and the security guy comes up and he goes, you work for Aerosmith? And I go, yeah. He goes, what do you do? I go, I'm their weapons maker. <laughs> That's a great answer. Great answer. Yeah, so that, yeah. And then Tyler comes out waves me in and he goes this is how this is gonna go because i told him the knife was 1200 bucks at the time and uh he goes he goes i'm gonna give you a thousand for that and i'm gonna give it to keith richards and i go no you're not <laughs> and he goes oh man i thought you'd go i was hoping you'd go for that <laughs> but uh but, uh, you know, but he got a nice knife. I didn't back down on the price. And uh, then he told me, he goes, I want you to des to design me a switchblade, you know, with the Aerosmith theme to it. So I, and uh, so he gave me all the contact info and all that. And so I drew something up and they were back in Florida and I got with them and, uh, you know, I, I was talking on the phone to him and I was describing, I had drawn it out. I was going, yeah, it's got a, I go, it comes out to nine inches overall or nine and a half inches overall. I said, hey, I go, if I make the blade just another quarter inch longer, I'm going to have to make the handle a quarter inch longer to accommodate it. I go, we can call it the big 10 inch. He goes, you're a freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what and i made it you know carved the aerosmith logo in the uh in the ivory and and uh you know I've, I've he's got i think 12 or 13 of my knives i've lost count but oh wow back when he so that's like a that's a regular collector that's awesome yeah yeah and joe and brad they've gotten uh some from me as well uh Brad didn't get one that night. He waited till the second time through, and then he got 
what was what I call the pirate boy knife. And uh, that's the one on my website with the in the testimonials page with the picture of Tyler and me. He's he's actually got Brad's knife in his uh, mouth. So he goes, that's a pirate knife, huh? He goes, that's how you carry that, you know, and sticks it into those big choppers. <laughs> I was going, man, don't go putting that's awesome. dents in it. You know, Brad's got to pay me for this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, you know, uh, Ted Nugent wanted me to give him a knife because he was Ted. And I told him, I said, look, you know, he, he got me, um, yeah, I met with him before his damn Yankees show. That was in the early nineties. And, uh, you know, he got me, uh, you know, after show pass and, you know, got, I got to watch the show and then he goes, Oh, he goes, give me a knife and I'll make you famous in my, my arch bow hunting book. And I go, well, you're too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right but, sorry you know, bud he, yeah well he you know i gave i gave him a little miniature knife pin i made up and i says well you know i'll give you one of these you know thanks for the show i go but i go the only one i've ever made a knife for was stevie ray and even he argued with me about you know he couldn't accept such an extravagant thing and i was just so happy that you know he hadn't od'd or anything or, you know, but uh, he finally he gave me. He says he goes. I don't want to cut the friendship. He goes. So you have to give something back. And he didn't have a coin, so he gave me a fifty dollar bill. <laughs> and then he said he goes. You know. Yeah, and then he goes. Can you make a copy of this? He goes. I'd like to give one to my guitar hero and he collects knives, which was Lonnie Mack who passed away a few years back. So I made another one, which I call it the SRV buoy. It was just a small, you know, five inch blade. It wasn't a real big thing. But, um, and I gave that to him on uh, the last time I saw him alive and within months he was gone. And then I met up with Lonnie Mack, and I said, uh, how'd you like that knife Stevie got you? And he looked at me, he goes, what knife? I go, you didn't get it? He goes, no, I didn't get anything. I said, well, you were supposed to. So I reached into my bag of tricks and pulled out a sheath knife for him and gave it to him. I says, you were supposed to get one, so here you go. And uh, Wow. That made it in the Blade magazine. It was a little blurb. They called Bluesy Blade because he put it right on his belt and was performing with it that night. You know, I took a picture. and uh, um, That was at a place called Skipper Smokehouse in Tampa. I loved their T-shirts. It said, we'll smoke anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was a barbecue. Yeah, a barbecue place. Oh, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. Like yeah, what? yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> But uh, still, there was a little bit of a double entendre with that one. Yeah, James Taylor. I never would have pictured him knife enthusiast, but he ordered one. Actually, I met his oldest brother, Alex, when I lived in Florida at uh, King Snake Records. 
Kingsnake Recording Studios, which was in Sanford, Florida. And the next town up was where Sheffield Knife Maker Supply was. And I, I knew the owner of the studio cause, just because of the music connection thing. And uh, I'd stop by after I'd pick up supplies, show him what I had. He bought a couple. And uh, Alex Taylor was there and uh, with his younger brother, Hugh, who was a spitting image of James. When he came walking downstairs from the recording studio, I thought it was James. But uh, anyway, Alex got a knife from me and he said, he goes, my brother James is going to see this and he's going to want it, but I'm not going to give it to him. So he said, give me one of your cards so I can give him that and he'll probably want to get one from you. And a couple months later, I got a call from James Taylor saying, yeah, I really liked Alex's knife, but he's my big brother and he wouldn't give it to me. So I got to get you to make them. He goes, he goes, make them for Livingston and Hugh too, my other brothers. He goes, that way we got peace in the family and he wanted their names etched on the blade. So I had this fella do that for me, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know what it is with musicians and knives. I call it their road managers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I mean that's that. that you works. know, who knows? But uh, well, anyway. I mean, I think I think there's definitely uh, I think there's definitely a connection. Uh, I know there's so? a, uh, knives and 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 musicians. It's like the the fascination with with you know bobbles and weapons right the combination of the two H- high end high end well made weapons that that are also yeah. uh, can sometimes be you know attractive right there there's a meeting of art and practicality there well yeah i mean that's that's my motivation for it uh, probably one of my biggest influences was a book called steel canvas uh, came out somewhere in the mid nineties, I think big, big coffee table book, but it was all about embellishment of arms from like about eh, 1600s right up to the present day. And so, you know, that's, that was the inspiration for me. Yeah. You know, uh, I, uh, recently worked, um, I bought a couple knives from an area collector here, and uh, he come by my house because he lived in San Antonio, and uh, found out we're not that far apart. And he came by uh, with a whole bunch of knives he had, and uh, was saying, you know, man, he goes, I'd like to sell these. He goes, but eBay's such a pain, you know. I, I was looking at some, I go, I think I know some people that'd be interested in some of these, you know? And, uh, so he had 19 knives he left with me to photograph and contact. And I, was, I told him, we sold 13 out of the 19, which was pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I told him, I said, I'll help you out, man, but let's make it maybe a half dozen at a time. This was a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he, yeah, right. but he had a couple of folders 
uh, he wanted me to, you know, he was showing me, and every one of them had up and down blade play. They were liner locks. And I told him, I said, I think, I go, I think I can fix these. And uh, so he left them with me. And, you know, I got to fix them. And I won't mention names, but there's some pretty uh, big names. And every one of their knives was sadly uh, uh, lacking. And one thing I do is I make sure that everything works right before I even think about how pretty to make it. Because I, I told this guy, I go, well, they, they got the sizzle, but they're not getting the steak with this. But uh, <laughs> but I fixed them, and he got rid of them. But, uh, you know, it was just, I, I couldn't, you know, even just taking them apart, you know, it was like, why'd they make them like this, you know, you know? You have to take the whole thing apart. I go, if there's going to be any malfunction with a folder, most likely, I'd say nine times out of ten, it will be with the lock. So why do you have to take the whole knife apart <laughs> to get to the liner lock, you know? And <laughs> so uh, anyway, it was time-consuming, but I did fix them, and, and he got to move them on. But, but yeah, you know, I like... Um, you know, uh, years ago, Ken Warner, when he used to do the, the Knives Annual, he, he used to say mine were straightforward, some of them, and then he'd say an idiosyncratic in their styling, because I don't like to, I used to do models, but I just don't do that anymore, you know. Back in the 96 or 7, I think, uh, the tacticals were first coming up and I made a few tacticals and I even got a nice write up in tactical knife magazine. Steve Dick saw my stuff at the blade show and had Butch Winter do a article on me and uh but I just noticed with the tacticals everyone was undercutting one another, you know, and you'd check the ads every month and uh everyone was dropping their price undercutting the other guy I says i'm wanting to go up not down and uh then i saw that steel canvas book and you know i was hanging out with bill mchenry you know when i'd come up to new england and uh, and you know i that's where um i got a lot of my uh initial switchblade instruction was from him but then when i come back to florida i I made my own type of sear instead of what he showed me. But, uh, you know, there were only three of us were invited to this super, what he called springtime in the woods. Cause he lived out in the woods of Rhode Island. You don't think of Rhode Island that way, but, uh, where he was, it was really gorgeous. But, you know, the mystique's going on. Springtime in that. the woods, huh? Yeah, that's what he called it. And Butch Valentin was there as well. Uh, Ralph Salvideo was one of the students, myself, and this other fella from New Hampshire. I mean, Bill was all about the, the I mean, he was, a, right, he was an ex-jeweler, so he was definitely about about the 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 look, right? Yeah. I mean, of course the function, but he, he was definitely um, a man of details. Very much. And I first met his knives before I met him. <laughs> and it was kind of funny. It was at this 
show that uh, in Plant City, Florida, the bustling metropolis of Plant City, (laughs) (laughs) I used to call it, it was always around Groundhog Day weekend, Uh, but I used to call it the UFO show. Just because I said knife makers appear in this obscure southern town, but they're only seen by a handful of rednecks. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of excellent, excellent description. Yeah. Well, have you been to Plant City? <laughs> no, but I I can think of many shows that that applies to. Oh, really? So that, well, uh... You'll have to let me know and warn, forewarn me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but uh Man. but uh yeah so this this uh fella phil fallon he had neshoba valley knife works in massachusetts he come down and he that sounds very familiar yeah, yeah. and he had um, a mchenry knife and everyone was like wow look at this and you know you form a picture in your mind's eye um I'm I'm picturing some old watchmaker type, real precise, you know, guy. And then the next year, Bill comes down and it was like, "What's he doing at a knife show? Shouldn't he be at the Grateful Dead concert someplace?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, uh, we all hung out, and got to be real good friends, and uh, I miss him a lot. He'll be gone two years next month. Well, we used to talk at least a, at least once a week, if not more. And a lot of it was, we'd start out with knives and it would eventually morph into guitars because he, he uh, had a passion for guitars. He didn't play them as well as I do, but uh, he liked tinkering with them. And when he passed on, his daughter gave me a, phenomenally good deal on one of his vintage 68 supro arlingtons which um i think yeah that that's the one i'm with in the knife magazine article it was out a couple couple months ago but uh also that's a very special guitar then oh yeah yeah Plus, uh, he wanted one of my knives. I have made knives for other knife makers. I've ordered knives from me, so I guess I must be doing something right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, you know. You're doing all right. You're doing good. <laughs> he, he said, oh, he goes, oh, I've always wanted one of your knives. He goes, and I want your motorcycle jacket. I had this vintage motorcycle jacket. He was always hounding me for it. And... Uh, he goes, make me a small fixed blade and, uh, and that motorcycle jacket, you know. And uh, thing was, this was just a little before, maybe not even a, about a month before Christmas, and uh, I had a, I had a dagger, Damascus dagger I had made up. It was not exact. It was bigger than the small fixed blade. It was still a fixed blade and tiger maple handle and i just said well i'll just send him this because i had too much other work to do anyway and sent him the motorcycle jacket and the knife and uh i still keep the uh, message you know he left on my phone saying oh man you're too generous this is more you know i didn't need this is too much not you know blah blah but uh 
So it is. Uh, Richard Wright told me he got that knife now. So I'm glad it's went to a, another good home. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. That, that knife is, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the box was sitting, it was, it was, took an act of Congress to get Bill to leave the ranch as he called it this place. <laughs> and I said, Bill, I sent this stuff priority. I'm checking. It's been there for three, four days now. Are you going to go pick it up? Well, yeah, I'll get to it. He goes, my daughter's going to take me to a doctor appointment, new doctor. I got to go see. And, and I says, he goes, and I can't drive, so she's got to come pick me up. And I says, well, ever swing by the post office. I go, you see a doctor, nothing's going to, you got to make a great impression. Come strolling in with a vintage motorcycle jacket on. And I had forgot to take my skull pin off it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, there you go. So, so he wore that in and, uh, you know, when his daughter after he passed i was talking with jocelyn and uh, she says oh do you want that motorcycle jacket back i said no i go but i didn't mean to send him my skull pin that was one thing i forgot so she sent me that and he had wanted uh last we talked carved lost wax carved up these um skull rings he had designed but he didn't cast him himself because he was really he he had a lot of health issues in his later years. So he says, "Well, he goes, I designed him." He goes, "But someone else had to cast him for me." He goes, "But what's your ring size?" He goes, "Your middle finger. What's your middle finger size?" I go, "I don't know. I don't wear a ring on my middle finger." He goes, "Well, these are designed for your wearing on your middle finger." <laughs> So I said, well, I'll have to go to a jewelry store and get and have them size my finger or something. He goes, oh, no. He goes, just he goes, grab a business card and cut a strip and wrap it around. He goes, that'll give the most accurate. And I had that on my kitchen counter, and uh, he had called me. We had talked so long that uh, his battery went dead on him. And I was busy trying to get Christmas orders done. And uh, he had left a message saying, hey, we didn't finish our conversation. <laughs> and I just said aloud oh, and boy. went, Bill, I'm up to my ass and alligators here. I'll talk to you after Christmas. And he passed that night. So now anytime I see on the caller ID, it's a friend, I pick it up. I don't give a shit how busy I am, you know. Because that, that really kind of... But, uh, you know, and Jocelyn sent back the skull pin and a skull ring, and it fit me perfect on my middle finger, oh, of wow. course. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, it is. Shoot. But, uh, anyway, um, so what is, what, what, um, what are your primary What's what's the knives you sell the most of in in Vegas? I mean, I th I think autos are uh, switchblades are more popular now than I think they've ever been. Really? To be honest, oh yeah, because of 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 so much loosening in the legalities of the of the federal switchblade act. I mean, state to state, we're seeing 
I mean, Texas, right? Texas, you can carry automatics, um, open carry automatics now. Well, and brass oh, knuckles yeah. too. Yeah, but. You, you can even carry a long Bowie knife on your belt and go out and do your shopping if you want. <laughs> but uh, see, yeah, as one should. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, I have from time to time only because oh, I can. Sounds like New Hampshire, where every you know. New Hampshire made it so everything was legal just as I was leaving. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's usually, yeah. Live but, for your uh, die, man. Yeah. Well, I sent, I made a knife for a fellow up in New Hampshire this past summer and had a little crown stag handle on it. And uh, I polished off the end of the crown and I put live, freeze, and die. <laughs> <laughs> which you can probably relate also, to since you saw me yesterday yep. it was cold <laughs> yes very cold yeah. extremely cold yeah well that's because you've been in vegas for years you know now it's but yeah down here in texas shit it gets below 60 people are putting on parkas and stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. kind of funny. I yeah, consider I consider it a, a holiday when I can put on a flannel shirt. Oh, say there you go. Yeah. Break out the flannels. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. But um Yeah. I've been making instead of the switch blades, I've been making uh some big Navaja styles, real sweeping clip blades but they're good size and uh they're pretty much like i don't know if you call it a well i guess in new york they call it a gravity knife but that's and they're so big that i make a tooled cross draw sheath so you pull it out and it just takes the tiniest little t- and it's open it's qu- as quick as a switch blade but it don't have all the baloney so but uh not that I, not that it's baloney, but uh, I don't know. You know the way I was shown to make them by Bill. One thing I will say is, none of my knives have ever had to uh, have ever malfunctioned as far as switchblades. You know, Bill did make sure the structural integrity was the key. You know, it wasn't because you know when they first started made the splash, everyone and their mother was making them. And a lot of them were dying. Show was over, you know. But ours took a licking and kept on ticking. <laughs> That's the spirit. See, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Built, built to last. Yeah. Right? Well, there's there's certain things you have to uh, do with them. You know, even making the the kick spring. It's like making a a fine custom-made pool cue the tapers everything's just got to be just just so and you have to use special you know there's a certain steel that works the best and uh i don't know but again like i said uh i haven't made one in so long um um, but instead i've made these other ones you know there's a there's a time. There's a time and a place for everything, right? Yeah. Maybe they're. It's just waiting to come back around or something. Well, maybe we'll see. Um, but 
I just, when I've looked online at um, various, um, various knife dealer sites, when I see the automatics on there, they don't seem to be bringing, I said, man, I used to get more than that. And, you know, you got so much work in them. So I said, I'm just going to keep making the manuals and I'll make my uh, uh, Gravity Navaja things and that'll be that. But uh, if someone wants the to Navajas pay... Navajas are an excellent knife. Oh, yeah. Geez, I'm looking at one on my wall. I collect knives as well. I like uh, 19th century knives. Uh, I observed my 25th year of knife making. I was trying to think of something special to commemorate. And, you know, in that steel canvas book, there were just so many uh, really nice Bowie knives and things like from the, from Sheffield and in the 1800s that uh, I started collecting those and now I'm in the Antique Bowie Knife Association, but I've got a huge Navaja on my wall. It's open. It's nearly two feet long. Holy moly. It's the second one I have. Stephen Tyler got the first one. Uh, there, um, <laughs> And it was, we were sitting down wow. in Sunapee Harbor there in New Hampshire um, and I had just gotten this Nevada and a half inch blade. So you needed like 11 and a half inch. So it was like, yeah, 23, 24 inches open when you opened it and it fit right down in the pocket of my uh, hiking shorts and you didn't even see it. And we were sitting around and I go, well, I go, I know you need to be politically correct these days. I go, is anyone going to be offended if I uh, clean my fingernails with my pocket knife? Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I pull this thing out. And again, Tyler's eyes just, well, man, I got to have that. <laughs> and he got it. But uh, and then afterwards, I was going, oh, man, I'll never get another one of those. And then another one come up on eBay, the same Navajas de Toledo. Nice etching on the blade from like the early, early to mid 1800s. And so I, I got it. But uh, yeah, it's just, it, just, just to see the look on everyone's face. Oh, yeah, go right ahead. Think I'm going to pull out this little thing and I just chunk. <laughs> they go, oh, <laughs> yeah. So we're backing away. Well, from we didn't the table. think it was going to be quite that big. <laughs> well, I can be a merry prankster at times. I find it fun. That's pretty but, great. Yeah. But, uh, Antique Bowie Association. That's pretty. That's pretty far out. So I'm assuming that you have qu quite a few Bowies then. Oh yeah, yeah. Probably too many, but um, I've got a nice one from made from a fella in Paris in the 1830s. Beautiful carved ivory handle, sterling silver guard, beautiful sterling silver. Uh, mounts on the sheath um it's just gorgeous uh, i got a number of them and uh i've sold quite a few but i still have quite a few as well you know that's the one thing you know this uh 
this year's been just so goofy, you know. There's been no knife shows because I always went to the antique Bowie knife show. I've been a, I know, isn't there one? There was one out in Vegas, I think, in January. It was sort of a, a yeah. there'd be a knife show. Have, uh... And then there was, it was, wasn't there an antique arm show in the same yep. building or something? So, yeah. It's the antique, uh, yep, antique gun and knife show, and then there's uh, there's a couple other shows around there, but that that antique one is a, that's a blast. It, it, yeah, it, that's that's a great show. Yeah, well, that's I remember one year it was they were both in the same building. I don't know if it still is, but I thought about going, and I said that'll be too much like them Big E days in Springfield because that was. A very I loved that gun and knife show just because there was so much history in it, you know. It wasn't just all the modern stuff that you see these days, you know. Because I'd sell a knife and then I'd go take a stroll and next you know, I'm coming back with eighteen fifty pocket boot pistol, checkered walnut handle and or eighteen twelve grave swords and that i was going yeah that vegas one i don't know if i'd make any money at it (laughs) (laughs) it uh it can be fickle sometimes yeah yeah that's true yeah Yeah. a couple folders i've made recently have been a sort of reflection this past year Oh, I, I think I sent you the pictures there, that wavy bladed Chris there that I call Chris Pistofferson. <laughs> Just because I'm thinking, man, you know, everything's closed down. You know, the... So when you're when you're in the shop now and you're and you're working on stuff, you don't it sounds like you don't really you don't take orders, you just kind of make what you want to make. Well, I'm I'm working on an order right now. Um, for a store in Vermont I've been dealing with for 20 years. Uh, he regularly buys four-figure knives from me and regularly sells them. So, you know, we've had a good thing going. You know, I wouldn't mind getting a good thing going with you guys, but uh, you never know. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I've I've had busier Christmases. Last year, I was super busy. You know, this year, uh, I just came back from New Mexico. I did a trip, and uh, they were hurting real bad. You know, one time, they definitely, well, I'm sure Vegas is the same thing. You know, it's a very tourist-dependent economy, and if people aren't traveling, you know, uh, it just has slowed down substantially and uh, but you know luckily I've got a few orders but yeah you know mostly uh, when I take an order it's um, one thing I don't do I used to do custom orders way back in the day but you know you know how hard it is to see into someone else's mind's eye (laughs) you can't You know, I'm still working on it, man. Yeah. Oh, are you? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, <laughs> let me know when you, you've cracked the code. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, I'll call you up with a breakthrough any day. Yeah. Now. All right. 
Yeah, probably come after the big feed next week and you're lying there meditating your ass off. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that sounds, it's on my calendar. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But, you know, I uh, people order things from me. But, I mean, as far as doing specifics, you know, one guy, I remember calling me up, wanting me to make this knife that was going to cost buku bucks, but he didn't have the money. And when I quoted him, I said, man, I go, you got any idea how hard this is going to make? He goes, but it'd be my dream. Can't you make it for what I can afford? And I says, I can't let your dream become my nightmare. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, you know, sometimes, you know, there was one out of the time um, someone was a good customer of mine. He used to really make my ear when I lived in Florida. And he wanted a, a warthog scrimmed on this ivory handle knife. I sent it to the scrim shander. And when it come back and I sent it to him, he didn't like it because he said nothing to do with my work. It was the scrim shander. He said, this doesn't look like a warthog. This looks like Alf. <laughs> And, and, you know, then he sent the knife back to me, and then I had to make the call of the scrim shander and said, he doesn't like the warthog, says it looks like Alf. And now I've got to sand it down, repolish, and now he wants a lion instead. You know, but I mean, I don't know, you know. Like I said, you know, it all depends, you know. Of course, I cheerfully take you know orders but you got to be free reign on it if, if you're looking for a specifics but you know everything's got to be this that or the other you know um, some people want a certain maker steel fine you know we'll get together and do that you know but uh, that can that can be real tricky especially with with like you're saying like if someone's got some sort of specific idea or some sort of contrived concept of of what the knife should be yeah um you know yeah that, that can get complicated yeah i had a guy do that to me in florida my last year there because um uh, kevin hoffman and i he was a, another guild member i'm not in the guild anymore but um we uh were charged with finding a facility for the newly formed Florida Knife Maker Association. They wanted a show. And they go, no, we don't want it in no VFW hall or something, you know, America, you know, we got to have a nice joint. But so they had champagne taste with a beer budget. And we went around looking at all these Orlando, Florida shows. And then we finally found them a place, actually one place that, told us you know we can't afford to do it for you for this but this other hotel's just been newly refurbished re, you know and uh they're probably antsy for some business so we went and talked to them and we had a brand new showroom with the chandeliers the carpet and all that but a fella ordered a knife from me to be delivered at the next year's blade show and i go okay yeah well um what you want clip what kind, you know, he wanted a, a folder, a switchblade, 
He goes, just make me a nice knife. So I made a knife. You know, I go, okay, he's giving me free reign. And then I get it to him, and he goes, this isn't the knife we talked about. <laughs> I go, what are you talking about? You know, and I was like, kind of rip shit about it. I was like, man, I figured I had to sail already, and now... And uh, I ended up calling a collector in Hawaii who was more than happy to get it and paid me more for it. And, uh, and then this other guy called me because he was a, a dealer in Florida. And he says, I need my knife. I said, well, I had it for you a week ago and you didn't want it. I go, now you're at the back of the list. I got other orders to fill. He goes, I need it. I need it within the next week or two. I said, sorry, I can't do that. And he got all belligerent with me. And I says, you know what? I made a New Year's resolution. I only deal with pleasant people. And I regret to inform you that you have not made the cut. <laughs> and I go, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm writing you a check for your deposit and sending it back. And I go, and it's probably going to be the happiest check I ever wrote. And, uh, you know, but I mean, again, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't want to be sour grapes here, but again, I just said, you know, if you're going to order something, fine. But tell me, you know, like a... The late Ralph Salvidio, who was another one of the Switchblade guys out of Rhode Island, Rattler Knives, you know, he used to ask people, what flavor? <laughs> Trying to talk like I'm from Rhode Island. What flavor do you want? Yeah. What flavor? <laughs> you know, yeah. give me the flavor you like, and then I'll, I'll put the jimmies on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sure. You know, stuff like that, you know. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, I love mammoth ivory. I love the different colors and, you know, and stuff like that. I like the warm feel of it. And plus, uh, it was a handle of choice even way back in the ancient days because even when your hand's wet with whatever, it gives you a good grip, you know, but uh, I'm really not much into um, all the the carbon fiber or, or any of these synthetic things. I do use some linen micarta now and then, but I really prefer the natural materials, and I love Damascus steel just because it's as unique as the thumbprint or fingerprint, you're never going to get two of the same, you know. Well, unless maybe damascus steel, that stuff kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't use that. But uh, I like the high carbon stainless. I use a, um, I melt up some paraffin and heat the blade up after it's been etched and polished and all that. And you know, as long as you don't get it above the temper, then I dip it in this paraffin, and it's like capillary action, and it just kind of sucks it right in through all those, that topography, and I have not had any trouble with any rust on my blades in 20 years. That was a trick Steve, oh, there you go. Trick Steve Schwartzer showed me. Hmm. But, uh... You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, the paraffin? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, who'd have thunk? 
<laughs> you know, that's uh, that's I don't know. That's tricky. That's tricky business right there. Well, it works great. You know, you wipe off the excess and it's it's there. You know, and like I said, I've no one's ever sent their knives back to me. Oh, this rusted up or so. You know, it's it's in there. It's impregnated. I guess I do tell them from time to time. You might want to, you know, at least if you don't have um, uh, what's that? The Renaissance wax. You know, just any any car. Any fine quality car paste wax, not liquid, but paste wax. Just put some, you know, like you're buffing up, you know, shining up your buff bumper or something on your car, you know. But but paraffin works better because, you know, that's what they use in canning and stuff. So uh, it's a little more friendlier, say, if you're, you're cutting food with your Damascus knife, at least it's paraffin wax on there, so you're not going to get berry-berry or something. <laughs> but uh oh, whatever what well, when you're when you were going back and forth you you came from you came from massachusetts to florida back up back up to new hampshire um well i, I mean that's, I did a yo that's a lot of that's a lot of travel yeah i did a yo thing you know massachusetts to florida then back up to massachusetts then back to florida thought about going to texas um, but then ended up up in New Hampshire. You know, I used to always like I loved up in New Hampshire. That's where I used to spend my vacations backpacking in the White Mountains. You know, spend your vacations busting ass, scrambling up and down <laughs> these mountains. <laughs> and then you'd need a vacation from your vacation when you're done. But uh, you know, I liked it up there. You know, it was and. I tried, you know, and then I finally moved down to Texas. It was mostly the music was what was drawing me here. That and I used to do, uh, I used to be a historical reenactor. So I used to come down and get killed at the Alamo every uh, March. First weekend of March is when they, uh, it's the anniversary of the, the battle, the Alamo battle. So, so, so. You know, after being in New Hampshire winter, by end of February, you know, it was right after the East Coast Knife Show in Manhattan, back when that was going on, I would, you know, go do the show, always did well, and then I'd get on a plane and go down and get killed at the Alamo, and I was going, wow, I can see the ground again. <laughs> I haven't seen that since since last October. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh yeah that's that's about right um a, re- a historical reenactor that i would not have uh that's different I, I i did not see that one coming oh yeah How, so is that something you still do or or you, that was something no, that no, you were they, you're passionate about for a little while i did it for a little while yeah you know um up in new hampshire um there was this group that did a thing called canoe it was like a rendezvous on the Connecticut River right across, you know, from Mount Escutney in Vermont. And one of my good friends, uh, he uh, belonged to this uh, group, and he just told me about it. And he says, as long as you're dressed pre-1840, you're welcome. 
Most of them were dressed like Revolutionary War or French and Indian, Indian War. I'd show up as the uh, the beaner, so to, as we used to call ourselves in Florida, and I'd go to the Alafia River rendezvous. I was like the, the 1830s era Texan, big wide sombrero thing and Bowie knives and and one day uh, and my friend he had the camp tavern so that was the popular joint after sundown you know <laughs> ah there you yeah, go see yeah, the, rule, rules still apply yeah, you know the, that counts yeah, the snow goose tavern and he even had an old oak casket that he would drop the keg into so it still looked like it was all you know period you didn't see any aluminum keg you know which by the way that keg beer gives you strength it's proven <laughs> you know when you first get that keg yeah. you can hardly move it but boy before you know it you can throw that thing across the air <laughs> but uh, a couple of, yeah a couple hours go by and all of a sudden it's just yeah you know, yeah it's the strength yeah, it's, that's, that's what it right. is and uh yeah this one guy was getting on me he's going you know this is french and indian war encampment and I says, well, I was told pre-1840, and I'm completely within those. So I said, so just regard me as a paranormal visitor from your not-too-distant future to your camp. <laughs> That's right. It's totally within the within the time constraint. It's fine. Yeah. It passes. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've always liked the Alamo. I mean, I grew up in that... Uh, how how should I say this? You know, the TV shows were, I guess, uh, politically incorrect and historically inaccurate. <laughs> but, there you, you go. Know, yeah, Zorro and Tarzan and the Adventures of Jim Bowie, and there was lots of Blade action going on. You know, and uh, you know all those Robin Hoods and all that sort of thing. It was sword play, knives, all that, sh you know, but uh, it was just very attractive to me to, to join this. I delivered a knife one year to a fella in San Antonio, and I coincided to be ready at the time of the Alamo anniversary. And so come down and saw that they did a reenactment. I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I uh, also met with the curator of the Alamo and told him I wanted to make a Bowie knife I'd get in and present it to the Alamo. And I did that in 2007. And uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just an attractive thing to me, so I joined the San Antonio Living History Association, even though I lived in New Hampshire, but there were people that come from all over the world that were members of this, you know, it was just a thing, you know, uh, I remember some tourists asked me and the guy portraying Davy Crockett, and I played James Bowie twice, and then Terribio Lasoya, who was a Tejano defender, I portrayed him for three years. So I did it five years. And uh, this Taurus wanted a picture 
of Bowie and Crockett in front of the Alamo. And this other guy, he had long hair too. And uh, I said, geez, look kind of like, uh, he goes something about, he goes, man, he goes, we're kind of like the furry freak brothers. He goes, do you remember them? I go, remember them? I'm staying with them this weekend. Because <laughs> I was staying with friends up here in Spring Branch. That's how I found this town, you know, just because it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause, All right. Yeah, because I was just staying in San Antonio, and then I got a Texas nature calendar, and when I turned to April, I saw this Honey Creek uh natural area i was going wow this is gorgeous because it had a uh, moss hung trees but there was rapids and big rocks and things i was going well this is sort of like a mix between the deep south and new england and then i found out it was only 30 miles north of uh um, san antonio i go wow it's that pretty up there so i started looking and uh and then I met some uh, musicians in a local bar, and we ended up jamming, and then I ended up staying with them. So, yeah, it was the Furry Freak Brothers. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, like, uh, that's legitimately a great way to find some place to live, which is just to jam in a bar and then crash crash with some dudes and just be like, you know what? I think I'm going to stay here. Yeah. Well, it was. This is my kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I ended up in Florida because Randall hired me, but uh, it'd be not, you know, right now there is some live music going on, but nothing really big, you know, and it's way off what it used to be. But, uh, right. but you know, yeah. but everything's been off, you know, some. So this is kind That's of true. Kind of. Who'd have thought anything like this would happen in our lifetime? But uh, so I don't know. You just got to be I don't careful. Think too many people. No, but I mean, I've gone out to some of the open mics, but when I go, geez, no one's disinfecting that mic after the next for the next performer. I go, no, I'm going to sit this one out. <laughs> Note to self: bring your bring your own microphone. So that's what I do now you know and i'll bring my own mic and stand i'll go yep nothing shows you care than bringing your own mic to these at least i know where this has been now now there you go yeah i have every confidence that you disinfected this before sending it off to me (laughs) yes (laughs) and well if not it's been nice knowing you yeah. Well, right. who was it that had it last? Let me think. Oh, Mike Norris was he uh, the guy? Is that who I have to have my? Yep. I'll have to have my yeah. people contact his people. Is that how that goes? <laughs> yeah, right. Have have all the people contact all of his people. Yeah, yeah. People will figure it yeah, out. Yeah, that's you know? true. They'll yeah. uh, they'll do it. No, it's well, every it's everybody's off here this year. You know that's that's the thing. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's just weird for everybody. Yeah, well, again, that's why. But, so you're still playing music regularly, right? Is that so? That's um, what you're. Um, I had a gig a couple weeks ago, but uh, I haven't had one since. Um, 
I haven't really been out beating the bushes about it like I did before, prior. I used to play a lot in New Mexico, you know, in the summer. That I liked. I liked out of the press of Texas heat, you know. That's one thing I forgot. Um, you know, I've got a, trees hung with Spanish moss in my backyard, and it's nice. I like looking at it. It's a great wind gauge and all that, but that, it won't grow unless it's hot and humid. And all my house hunting mm. was done during uh, March <laughs> when I was down ah, for the okay. so, when I when I heard people when I first bought my house I moved in the end of October so it was gorgeous you know beautiful weather and but come the next March I started hearing people talking about the coming summer the way people talk in New England about the coming winter and I go hmm what's going <laughs> on here <laughs> Then I found out because oh, I, I almost I I was on the borderline of heat stroke the first summer I was down here. I'm out trying to do yard work and wondering how come it's taking me two days to do my knock my yard down. Well, I didn't know it was 114 degrees with 110 percent humidity. <laughs> and uh, wow! But uh, but New Mexico, I love it. I go up around Santa Fe area, and, uh, you know, it's high desert there, and mountains around. So, you know, it gets up in the 90s, but it don't feel that bad. You know, like when I went out to Vegas for that guild show, they go, oh, yeah, but it's a dry heat. And I go, yeah, but I don't hang around the dryer when I'm doing laundry. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I liked playing out up in New Mexico. Uh, Texas is okay, but thing is, you can't swing a cat without hitting a musician in this neck of the woods. <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. I just bought a bass guitar to try and uh, learn how to play that. I was going, well, you know, there's so many guitar players, and, you know, I play, but and sing and all that but uh i just thought well if i wanted to get in a band though maybe if i could get bass under you know play really good bass then that might open up some uh more avenues as well so i'm always trying to learn something keep keep the melon fresh right always trying to new new input is good no matter what it is yeah you know? exactly anyway speaking of music i got a friend of mine playing about five miles up the road starting at eight and it's almost seven and i haven't made dinner or de-loused from the shop i came right in from i was etching three neck knives and and working on a folder order and actually i got three folders on order on the bench but this store in vermont you know hey yeah, I want something for uh, for. Can you have it by by uh, Black Friday? I said, I don't think so. No, and you're calling me a week and a you know a week before that. <laughs> when I got other two other a little bit a little bit tight of, there. You know, I says I'll get going on it, but you know, I already talked with one fella yesterday, and he says, Oh, that's all right. I'm in no rush if you want. 
I says, well, I go, yours was close, but uh, I really got to bust a move and get this one. And, uh, the other fellow, I, I got to talk with him yet. He called me this morning. I haven't gotten with him, but, uh, but I'm sure he'll be understanding too. They're both knife makers that, you know, plunk down some dough and want some couple of folders. So, but they're understand. Oh, cool. Well, right. yeah, they're more under. Maybe they're more understanding of it than say if it was someone that wasn't a knife maker. You say, hey, you mind if I put yours down because this guy at the store wants one for his Christmas? You know, that's the one I was telling me yesterday about. It's gonna have malachite handle there and. And I told him, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do a Grinch theme. He's not wanting the Grinch, so I got to think of something else green. <laughs> but uh, I, I it, thought that was hilarious. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, I liked it too, especially where I already had it in mind. You know, again, that's what I had in mind. But you know, if I if I do that, then it won't be a sale. And truth be told, I better get a sale here. So. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Say sometimes it's practical. That's okay. Yeah. But uh, anyway, well, it's been fun yakking with you. Um, but um, but yeah, no, it's absolutely it's it's been a pleasure to to sit down and and swap some stories. I don't I don't think we covered everything, but I think it's oh, impossible yeah. to cover everything all the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I remember he was going to ask me about the uh, the walking back from UMass campus in Amherst up to Hadley to pick up my truck that was towed away <laughs> that I parked yeah. behind Stevie Ray's tour bus when he played up there. I had no idea it was on a walkway. How could you tell when there's a bus there? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Officer, I didn't see that. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing was, I had two guitars, so that was that made that walk all the longer. <laughs> yeah, and I thought my truck had been stolen. I called the police, and they go, where was it stolen from? I go, UMass, here at the campus. I saw a Stevie Ray Vaughan show right outside the auditorium I was parked. And they go, oh, yeah, there was a blue truck. I said, yeah. And they go, oh, that was towed. Why? That was on a walkway. Well, the bus was on the walkway. Yeah, but yours was easier to tow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Wow. I was Thanks, guys. <laughs> I was supposed to meet them right after the show. Of course, by the time I walk up there, you know, find out where it was towed to. And they gave me the directions. And I'm walking. Walking up there all by myself, walking on a country road. <laughs> yeah. The glamour of knife making and music all rolled in a one right there. <laughs> Telling you, it doesn't get any any better. Nice nah. and classy, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I'm friends with his brother Jimmy too, and he's bought a number of knives. Um I get to that's cool, yeah, man. I, that's that's uh we get that's pretty neat. We get together for lunch now and then and there's two twin girls I got there. They drew me pictures of their horses and they're on my refrigerator. That's my refrigerator art. 
And, uh, and he didn't want his name mentioned in the article, though, in Knife Magazine. And then they went and put his dragon folder on the cover. Yeah, so he actually, he's got three in there. And the, the last two on the last page, he also has one of them's one of those Navaja um, gravity knives. He really liked how quick that opened. And, uh, and, uh, and the top one over that he, he bought for his 80 year old mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I was in a, Shoot. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I just said, I go, that's an odd gift for an 80 year old woman. He says, Oh man, she looks like a Hollywood starlet. She played uh Jack Nicholson's girlfriend in his movie, uh, Hell's Angels on Wheels, or something like that. <laughs> some, some, oh, wow. one, okay. of, one, okay. of, one of Nicholson's first movies, you know, he said, Yeah, he goes, Nicholson played like a bad influence on the, on the town's youth. I said, Jack Nicholson, that had to been a stretch for him to portray a bad influence. Wow. How'd he pull yeah, that man. one off? <laughs> <laughs> How'd he do it? Huh? Yeah. Must have been hard. Yeah, must, must have, been, have hard. been. Yeah. I used to, that was a banter I did in between my uh, my uh, parodies at the comedy club when I was in Florida. And uh, people used to say, that, well, you sound like Jack Nicholson. So I'd put on a pair of Foster Grant wraparounds and pull my hair back and put a big grin on. I go, I'm... This is Jack Nicholson as a door-to-door Bible salesman. I think you better buy this goddamn Bible here. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm going to rip your head off. You'll have to edit that out. But, but yeah. Yeah, anyway. uh, The editor of Knife Magazine on the blurb for jimmy's cover knife he just put this is one of seven owned by texas blues guitar legend whose brother also was a world-class musician yeah i was going oh yeah well yeah. <laughs> so when i gave jimmy his copy i go oh yeah they're talking about johnny and edgar winter he goes no they're not <laughs> <laughs> but uh nothing getting past him on that one no, no, he didn't mind. It didn't have his name, but uh, and he told me that his father used to sharpen knives as a sideline, and he said he used to. He goes, he used to have a business card, you know, up in where they lived in Oak Cliff section of Dallas. He said he used to have a business card. That said, when things get dull, call Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So that's probably why, that must be why Jimmy Vaughn loves knives as well, I guess. That, and he he loves hot rods, though. You know, and I told him, I make pocket hot rods. Yeah, there you go. That's a great description. Yeah, that's the way I look at them. Yeah. I like them to look like they're doing 100, even when they're sitting still. Pocket hot rods. That's what I'm naming this episode. That's great. Oh, yeah? All right. Yeah, pocket hot rods. <laughs> <laughs> Loving that. That's great. All righty. Well, I guess uh, we could yak forever, but I probably better think about uh, getting this grime from the shop 
it's not it's not very clean work but it's honest work there we go see that that is the knife maker yeah swapping stories very very cool thank you for taking time out of your out of your schedule to sit down with us and 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 lay down some some good times all right uh, for the record on that yeah well it's been a pleasure jeremiah hopefully maybe we'll meet eye to eye one day that yeah i'd like that hopefully a blade show that's coming here huh yeah if that happens or the ice thing in fort worth if that goes on one of them too since blade's gonna be associated with it anyway but uh all righty well have yourself a great thanksgiving and uh meditate on that looking in a mind's eyes <laughs> absolutely man okay that's that's what it's all about i'm i'm on it steve thank you so much have an excellent thanksgiving and uh yeah man we'll, we'll talk soon okay doke all right bye now all right ad- adios to learn more about our guest check out his website www.stevehillknives.com there's also a great article in the September 2020 issue of Knife Magazine featuring pictures of the maker and some of the knives we talked about on today's episode. You can also contact Steve via his email, kingpirateboy2 at juno.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. Podcast.